Okay, uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 20. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. We ask you to speak to our hearts. Give us that which is right and necessary for this day and this time in our lives. We trust you for utterance and boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 20, notice with me in verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Very clear, very, very succinct. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And, and so we, we began speaking to you last week this new series of messages called No Other Gods. And it's not uncommon for a person nowadays to read scriptures about idol worship and bowing down to things and, uh, and to think that it's totally unrelated to their life, that that has really no, no bearing on their life. They're never tempted to do anything like that. And it's just kind of an old time adage um, uh, a different culture and society, but we're, of course, much more enlightened than that. However, idol worship, as we said before, has taken on new forms. And, and there is much of this same spirit and same issue in people's lives today. Unfortunately, even in Christians' lives, we at times have to deal with this, though we don't typically refer to it. You know, I don't have too many... Uh, too many people call me or ask for an appointment, and I say, well, what's the problem in your life? They say, idol worship. You know, uh, you know, people just don't really say that. They don't think that way. However, these issues have taken on new forms. They've got a brand new shiny face on them, and they're very evident in, in, in people's lives at times when, they're, when their relationship with God is, is hindered or not flourishing like it's, supposed to be, uh, like it's supposed to flourish. Now, last week, during one of the services, the Lord began to uh, give me some revelation. I began to prophesy concerning... Uh, some people that are in, in our church now and how uh, their relationship with God uh, is existent. Now, I'm just expounding and, and, and sharing with you the gist of some of what was said, but, but that it's not where it really ought to be. People have, been, have become dry. There's been some, uh, uh, some aspects of the relationship where it's not exciting. It's not on fire. It's just not really alive like it used to be. And good news, the messages, the things that are being shared are a key. And some people are about to turn the corner. And there's going to come a new freshness, a new excitement, where you actually go to church, you know, because you want to. <laughs> you actually read the Bible and spend time with the Lord, and it's the desire of your heart. It's exciting. Now, some of you are already there. You live there, and praise God for that. But some who have been just kind of hanging on by a thin stretch, a thin uh, thread, and uh, it's just not really alive like it's supposed to be. I believe that God is drawing you, and there's a move of God's Spirit even now to bring you back. I I've noticed at different times in my own life where it seems like I'm going along, not that er nothing's bad, everything's fine, but there's all of a sudden extra grace. And it seems like the Spirit of God is drawing me to spend time with Him or spend more time in His Word. And I have an opportunity when those times come 
I can just kind of ignore it and think, well, everything's fine. It's not like I'm, it's not like I'm just living in sin or anything. It's not like this just everything's bad. I can ignore it, or I can recognize and see this is an opportunity for me to have a move of God's spirit in my life right now, where I'm going to take a step up. And this is where where some of you are at. You're about to take a step up. Maybe everything's not falling apart. Maybe everything's just okay. I'm not okay with okay. I'm not all right with just making it. Everything's fine. Not going to hell. I believe God wants this walk that we have with Him to be exciting, to be alive, to be to be fun, to be uh, where things are happening. I tell you what, not just a a ritual that we go through, not just a rote that we live by, but a living relationship. Where you're excited, just like you're excited to see a friend or see a relative or uh, spend time with a family member. Uh, You're excited to be with the Lord. God's taking us there. If you're not there yet, get ready, get ready, get ready to go. James chapter 4. Turn there with me, please. James chapter 4. It says in verse 1, James 4, verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures can we see that the will of God ultimately is that a person does receive they do obtain that they do have and these scriptures are not rebuking the rebuking these people for wanting something not rebuking them for have for desiring things but how many know it's about how they go about getting it The Lord is not wanting to keep things away from us and keep us in lack and want and our desires unfulfilled. But he does say there's a certain way to do things. There's a right way. There's a wrong way. There is, as Proverbs says, a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Amen. Remember the scripture in Proverbs that says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I tell you what, when you do things God's way, you do obtain and you have a smile about it. When you do things your way sometimes or man's way, some of the things that they were doing, fighting and clawing to get what they want, they might eventually get it. Maybe not. Maybe never get it. Sometimes they get it. But the package, they open it up. It's got a bunch of stuff and it's got a frown. It's got a package of sadness in there as well. And so they got their new thing. They got their new toy. They got their new whatever it was, but they're not enjoying it. That's not the way God works. Amen. So the Lord wants us to have. But I want you to notice, I want to keep reading here, but the book of James, written by James, all right, he was a pastor at the time, pastored in Jerusalem, and he's writing to believers. You almost might think when you read some of the passages, he's writing to a bunch of rebellious sinners. No, he's writing to a bunch of backslidden Christians. Okay, a bunch of them were not doing things right, and he's giving them some very strong words to help get them back on track. And the very next verse, he starts with this language. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, I don't know, 
he's a pastor, I'm a pastor, so I could address you that way. <laughs> well, hopefully not necessary, right? But that's what he's doing. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now look at the language here. I don't think he's talking to his church and dealing with them about infidelity in their marital relationships. He's not telling them, you guys are a bunch of adulterers and adulteresses in the physical sense. But he's talking about their relationship with God. And saying, just like uh, people do that naturally, you're doing that with the Lord. He said, and this is a big problem. He related it to friendship with the world. He said, you can't be a friend with the with basically, say it this way, you can't love what God hates. You can't befriend and embrace that which is in a polar opposite to the character and nature and person of God. And he, again, uses the term adulterers and adulteresses in relationship to their spiritual union with the Lord. And, you know, when you talk about that, I don't know of any husbands or wives that are okay with their spouse having a little fling on the side. Know what I'm talking about? I don't know anyone who's married that, that, that is okay with a third party doing a little trio thing here with, 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 with their relationship. And uh, we need to understand that God is also that way. Just like if you're married, you want exclusivity uh, with that person. The Lord wants that with you as well. He doesn't want to compete with anybody else. Amen. He wants to have you and you alone. And just like in marriage situations, what, what, is a, what is a thing that can hurt or harm a marriage more than anything else besides maybe murder or something? Well, it is infidelity, right? It is a person committing adultery. That is one of the most harmful things that a person uh, can do to a marriage, you know, and those who do come through something like that often takes years for that relationship to recover and for trust to be restored and something like that. So we know what that's like naturally, all right? That's the language that the Lord is using. James is using inspired by the Lord to talk to some people about their relationship with God. He said, you're being unfaithful to Him. You've made a commitment to Him, but you're not following through. There's a third party in here. You've been flirting. You've been messing around with somebody else that's not in this relationship. And, uh, you know, of course, we are called the bride of Christ. And that is a picture of our walk in relationship with Him. When you and I confess Jesus to be the Lord of our life, how many know God took us at our word? I mean, He didn't require any trial period. Well, you confess Jesus as Lord, we'll put you on trial for six months, we'll give you a little taste of salvation, give, give you a little sampling of my spirit, and if you still mean it after six months, uh, I'll give you the whole thing. That's how it works, right? <laughs> Actually, oftentimes we don't even fully know what we're getting into. We heard about Jesus. We heard he gave his life as a substitution for ours. And that our sins could be washed away. 
we bowed our knee. We confessed the lordship of Jesus, and he took us at, his, he took us at our word. And we said, Jesus, be Lord. Now, we don't know what that means sometimes. We don't use that term in our type of government or society where there are lords. But in this context, with the, in the scripture, it means that he becomes the boss. It means he is the one in charge. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's the one that is, is superior, and we're laying our life before him. Now, we did that as a step of faith, and he did that as a step of faith. <laughs> We said, I confess you as Lord, and wham, salvation was imparted into our spirits. We got the whole thing, and it lasts forever, knowing that we might mess up. Hmm. I mean, just like a natural marriage, any man and woman that commits their lives to each other, how many know that's risky? It's risky in this regard. They're dealing with another person with flesh. That can be tempted, and uh, they might know them and know their character, but still, there's none of us who are above being tempted, and anyone ha- could make wrong decisions. And here you are saying, I'm committing my life to you. As long as, as, long as we're here on the earth, in fact, half of my stuff is now yours, right? And it's a major commitment, and, uh, and, and it's risky in that regard. And the Lord said, I'm giving you, you can confess me as Lord, I'm giving you everything I have. Wham, just like that. Jesus even said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He invested all of it into us because we said, we made a commitment to him as Lord. I remember hearing a story about uh, Billy Graham doing a crusade, uh, evangelistic type meeting in a big stadium in another country years ago and uh, he gave his gospel message gave an altar call an opportunity for people to receive the lord and uh, he had people if you want to give your life to the lord today receive salvation stand up on your feet and he was surprised to see that basically a hundred percent of the people stood up i mean that's what you want but he just didn't believe it <laughs> About 100% of the people, they were all standing up. And he thought, wow. After a moment, he realized what was happening because of their culture. Uh, many of the people there, they believed in all types of various gods. Had all types of things that they accepted and things that they believed. And he realized that they weren't giving their lives to the Lord on an exclusive basis. Him and him alone. They, they, they were, uh, you know, we don't confess Jesus as a Lord. We confess him as Lord, the Lord, the only one. And he realized they were adding Jesus to every other God that they believed in. And so he had everybody sit down and and, and redid the call. He said, now, let let me clarify. If you would like to give your life to the Lord, make Jesus Lord and him only. And forsaking all other gods, renouncing everything else in your life, and give your life fully and only to Him, stand up. And it was a different response. There was a lot less people that responded to that call that were willing to say, Him and Him alone. But how many know that is a prerequisite to having a relationship with God? We don't add Him to the mix. Say it's Him and it's this and this and all these other things that are uh, that set themselves up as gods in people's lives. You know... Uh, I want you to turn to Daniel 3 with me, but I want to read to you 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep 
yourselves from idols. I think that's, that's very interesting. Again, it's one of those scriptures that it's common for believers today, including myself, just to read over real quick. I keep myself from idols. I'm not really having, a tr- having trouble with idol worship. You know, don't have any real statues in my house and not literally bowing down and, 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 and to, to, to these statues and those type of things. But I'm telling you, this is inspired by the Lord, placed in our Bible. And idol worship is a reality in our time today. You must keep yourself from it. Said, I don't have to deal with that. Yes, you do. I'm telling you, as a believer, you are tempted with idol worship. In this century, in the United States of America, you are tempted with idol worship. We just must understand what that looks like and what forms that takes on. This word, keep yourselves from idols, uh, carries the idea of being, uh, the idea of isolation. Again, it's that exclusive relationship that we have with the Lord. It has the, uh, the words used to describe it are to be on guard, to, to watch, to avoid, to beware. This is a very important issue. We've got to watch out because this idol worship stuff actually can creep into people's homes and into people's hearts. And before you know it, they got a threesome going on. They've got some kind of funky relationship here that's not of the Lord, and they don't understand. How come when I praise the Lord, it's not the same as it was before? I can remember when I'd lift my hands and tears would come down my eyes, and now I'm just not really excited about it anymore. I mean, I go to church because I have to, because I know I'm supposed to. I, it's, just, it's just not really there. Well, could it be that something else has snuck into your life, has creeped in, and it's not really jiving with the Lord? That's very possible. Again, remember, the Scripture said over in James 4, we'll get to Daniel. He said, uh, the Spirit in us yearns jealously. Well, when is jealousy appropriate? Because oftentimes jealousy is not. It's a work of the flesh. But when can jealousy be right? I tell you, within a marriage. If one person is being unfaithful in some way, jealousy is right because that person has committed their heart to you. You've been made one flesh with them, and it would be an appropriate response. That's why the Lord experiences those feelings when His people are befriending the world, the ways, the things, the thoughts, the patterns of this world, and things that are enemies to Himself. Now, why would one be tempted to serve an idol? We're told very clearly, keep yourselves from idols. Why in the world would I even be tempted to serve an idol? Well, let's look at this example. In Daniel 3, we have a story of the three Hebrew guys. And, uh, of course, Israel was in captivity. And they were subject to Nebuchadnezzar. And, of course, he set up a big golden statue big golden idol, and he commanded everybody to worship, bow down, fall on their knees, worship when the music played. And these three guys said, nope, not going to do it. Not going to be messing around with that at all. And it says in verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) If that is the case, what? If you throw us into the fiery furnace... He, he said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if not, if you don't throw us in the fiery furnace, it, it, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And so their commitment to God was absolutely established. They're not bending whatsoever. Okay? Now, of course, the temptation could come in. I don't know if they ever had a thought like this, but uh, people nowadays do. But they could, they could have rationalized and thought, okay, if we take a stand for the Lord, we are committed to Him, we're going in the fire. All right? Or... Maybe when the music plays, we could just bow, but just do it on the outside. You know, we could just bow down, but in our hearts, we won't really be worshiping that God. And God knows that. He knows our hearts. And so we'll just bow on the outside. In fact, when everybody else is worshiping this golden statue, we'll be worshiping God. That'll be good. Would that be okay? Is that the kind of commitment that the Lord is interested in? I tell you, no. He's not just after your heart. He's after everything. He doesn't want our faith and our belief, our our uh, commitment and um and our our righteous living and and letting our voice be heard. Let to let that all be internal. I just serve God from my heart. Some of you are that way, aren't you? I want to keep, it's a private matter. Got to keep that in our house, homes, and keep it in our church, and keep it out of public life. That's a lie of the devil. That's a, that's a thing that's being promoted these days, and people say it to try to intimidate Christians, to try to bow to their idols on the outside and keep their, uh, keep their faith in God hidden on the inside, just where no one else can see it. The Lord's not interested in that. He wants you to live out through your, your words, your actions, and not be hesitant to talk. We're not shoving anything down anybody's throat. It doesn't even work that way. But we are Christians on the inside and the outside. Amen. I remember hearing a story about John Osteen. And he was, uh, you know, a man of God. And uh, he, he was at a car lot one day and talking with a car salesman. And this car salesman was just lighten it up with every word in the book you know french and uh oh just just cussing up a storm uh, just in his conversation with john 
And uh, after a bit, he was kind of fed up, had enough of that. So he just started saying, praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is good. Praise the Lord. And of course, that kind of shut down the other guy. And he was taken back a little bit by it. And uh, John said, I demand equal time. (laughs) You're going to cuss him. I'm going to praise him. (laughs) And uh, what do you mean by that? Don't hide. Some people won't pray for their food at a restaurant because they're concerned about other people around and Oh, what are they going to think? They don't care what you think when they're cussing. Telling jokes that are totally inappropriate. Hmm. We're not, we ought not be the ones that are intimidated. We Now, we're not forcing, again, anything down anyone's throat. But I've been saved. I'm, I've received eternal life. I'm going to forever be with Him. I'm not going to back off on my commitment because I'm scared about what someone else might think. This is a lot less to deal with than the fiery furnace. I've never yet been threatened with my life and being thrown into a fiery furnace for taking a stand for the Lord. But people nowadays, there are situations that are very real. Sometimes if you take a stand for being a Christian and you're not going to go certain places and do certain things, and maybe it'll cost you a promotion. You know, maybe some other idol worshipers will look down on you. They won't approve of your life. And that can cost you some in the short term. All right? But we're committed to Him no matter what. I'm going to let my life represent Him no matter what. But here's how I'm ultimately going to come out of this. The fire's not going to touch me. This is what we believe. We didn't read the rest of the story, but Nebuchadnezzar was ticked. He heated the fire. He said, make it seven times hotter. Even the guards died because of the heat coming out of the place when they threw them in. They threw those guys in, into the fire. They stood back after a little bit. He said, didn't we throw three people in there? Yes. I see four. Fourth one looks like the Son of God. A few couple of verses later, he told him, God sent his angel to protect you. In other words, what these guys believed is exactly what happened. You put us in, our God will deliver us. What what, what are we... And then, they, of course, they came out, changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart, which is a good argument for signs and wonders, why we should be operating in the miraculous, because some people, they need that wake-up call. Amen. But... uh, in, in their situation, they came out untouched. What about our situation? I say, even if we're not threatened with this, I'm going to take a stand for the Lord, and I'm not going to be hurt by a lack of uh, job promotion. I'm not going to be hurt by certain people not accepting me. All right, Different category, different day, different situation, but we can still believe that God is our deliverer, and that when we take a stand for Him and refuse to compromise in any way, even on the outside, if we're, you know, being faithful on the inside, God's going to make up the difference for us. Thank you, Lord. And so he did that for them. Look, look with me at Luke chapter 9. Sometimes our commitment to God costs us the approval of idolaters. Nevertheless, when it all shakes out, God will deliver us. You know, one element that is necessary in every person's life to be successful in various endeavors is the c word 
commitment. Commitment. It's not always fun. And, and, you know, people nowadays sometimes don't like the word. We want to be free of all entanglements, free of all commitments, uh, able to go and do when and where and how we want. And, uh, you know, commitment is commitment. <laughs> you know, sometimes people don't want to get married. They just want to perpetually have a relationship uh, with someone of the opposite sex. And, and they want the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage. Right? That's not right. And that's not safe. There are certain things that commitment provides us. Certain relationships, they can only go so far until a greater commitment is made. And then it comes up to a higher level. It's true with church. There, there, are, pe- there are people that attend church. There are people that are committed to a local church. A commitment provides the opportunity for that relationship to go higher. And for God to do things, whereas those who want to be free and just kind of cruise and check this out and check this out, well, they're just going to miss out on some of what that commitment really provides for their lives. You talk about a commitment to personal goals, a commitment to business endeavors, and a commitment towards something makes, takes a person a long way. Times when I've thought about, I've thought about fasting. Notice my language. I thought, maybe I will. Until lunch rolls around. Nah. <laughs> nah, that's not, that's not God. <laughs> but other times, when I made, up my, I made up my mind ahead of time, and I made a commitment, and I said, all right, when I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm going to do. For so many meals or so many days, I'm going to do that. I find I'm now empowered. I can do it once I've made a commitment to it. But if I don't make a commitment, well, maybe I will. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll help out. If, if you ever need something, call me. No, no, just commit. Now, I'm not saying make rash commitments. People don't sometimes do that, and they'll say, oh, I'll be there. Oh, I'll help you. Oh, I'll do this for you. And they lie in. They're lying. I remember hearing a story about a guy who back, he was many, many years ago, decades ago, he was in his teens, and he was always walking through this restaurant and something he did every day. Uh, and, uh, and they had a soda machine, and he was always uh, filling up several times a day and having, you know, way too much uh, uh, Cokes and stuff like that. And he finally just thought about it himself. He thought, you know, I shouldn't be having so many of these. And so he decided one day, made a commitment. He said, I'll never have another one as long as I live. <laughs> I thought, wow. <laughs> but you know what? He died in his 80s. Never had another one <laughs> as long as he lived. Uh, that's a commitment. Now, whether you make a commitment about that issue, that's uh, totally up to you. But when you make a commitment, Make it count. But when you do come, if you're a person of your word, when you do, do make a commitment, it'll change the way you live. Where before it was difficult, it was hard, I don't know if I can make it. When you commit, you're now locked in. And you're also empowered. And now, 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 now that situation is going gonna, is gonna to turn where it, it wouldn't be there before. Now, Jesus required commitment out of those who worked with him. And I want to read some scriptures here in Luke 9 that are very, very tough. But they came out of the mouth of Jesus, so he's my Lord. I want to know what he thinks. I don't want to know just one part of God. 
All right. And we can talk about victory. We can talk about how the Lord is our friend. We're chilling with Jesus. We're just hanging out. We talk like a friend. Yeah, there's that element to our walk with God. And there's no doubt about it. Sometimes he wants to tickle you and make you laugh. And he just wants you to be filled with joy and happiness. No question about it. That's true about the Lord. There's some other things that are true about the Lord as well. Look at the way he responded to these people. Uh, Luke 9, let's start in verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus doing here? He's questioning this guy's commitment. Really? You want to go with me wherever I go. This is not Jesus telling him that he's poor. Jesus wasn't poor. He was telling him that he, uh, there were sacrifices to be made in doing the will of God. You're going to go with me? I'm on the road, man. Sometimes I sleep on a rock. <laughs> they didn't exactly have a, you know, a Hilton that they could pull over and grab a room. <laughs> uh, there were sacrifices. And this guy says, I'm going to go with you wherever. I think some of us have said that. Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll go and do whatever. Do you realize? And I think the Lord is trying to wake some of these people up as we read here and trying to shake them up. Do you know what you're committing to? Uh, verse 59, then he, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, okay, well, that's valid. Why don't you go ahead and hit the funeral first? I'll catch up with you next week. Now, if I were to say some of these things without being authorized, I think I would get frowned upon. I think you would say, boo, bad pastor. You need to be more caring and sensitive to, to people's needs. So I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to read Jesus. Okay? Because this is a real aspect of his relationship with us. It's not the only part. But this needs, we need to be aware of this and how he thinks. All right. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Yikes. Jesus. Wow, I didn't know you were this way. Is it always going to be like this if we keep going? Verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ah, I just want to say bye, Lord. He said, See ya. We need to understand that when we make Jesus Lord, we are giving him the rightful place to speak into our lives, and at times, it's inconvenient. There are a lot of things, just to look at the whole picture, there are a lot of things the Lord leaves up to us. And He doesn't let us call our own shots and make some decisions. But I'm telling you, it's not always that way. Making Him Lord gives Him the preeminent right at any time to interrupt our plans. I've saved this money for this new car. And the Lord says, no, I, I want to use that now. 
I've been saving for a while. No. Well, here, here's the question. Is he Lord? Well, I've been planning this and I've got this figured out for the next three years. This is, my, this is what I'm going to do. Well, fine. Planning is good. But if he's Lord, he also has the right to change your plans at any time. And what do we say? Well, Lord, I'm going to have to pray about this. <laughs> Who are you going to pray to? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've got to, I'll get back to you in a month. No, now. Say, I don't really, I don't know if I like this. I know it's because you're an American. And so am I. And this goes against our, our will and our right to, to pick and choose and, and, and do all the things that we want to do. You know, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. There's some things we don't get a vote on. Now, we know the other side. We get salvation. (laughs) We get glory forever. We get the abundance of all His mercy and favor and grace. And it's amazing we get it forever. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about our commitment to Him. We're talking about if I have to uh, have faith to go through a fire, I'm doing it. If I'm intimidated, people don't accept me, people don't approve of me because of my commitment to the Lord and how I won't bow to some natural thing, that's what I'm going to do. I belong to Him. And if Jesus says, let's go, we're on the road, sleeping on a rock. (laughs) Good, I like rocks. Rocks aren't so bad. can do that if it's for the Lord. Amen. But this is part, and this is, I think, a part that many believers in our day and age want to skip right over we want to dismiss this and say well i can do this and this well i don't know can you our commitment to him needs to be both internal and demonstrated in the external many people today live only for themselves they are ruled by convenience and not commitment and i'm telling you if you're really walking with the lord and you have that bond with him There will be times where you serve Him, it is inconvenient to you. But I'm tired, I know, but He's Lord. But I'm busy, I know, but He's Lord. Amen. Sometimes when when people have been, when a couple has been married for a long time, they will, uh, maybe at a special anniversary, they will redo their wedding vows. Maybe some of you have, have, have done that. Uh, they'll have a, another wedding ceremony, so to speak. They're already married, and they'll redo their wedding vows and uh, kind of reaffirm their commitments and love towards each other. Sometimes it's just done for fun, re, re, you know, reaffir- reaffirmation again. Sometimes maybe in a rough spot, they say, let's rehearse what we said in the beginning days lest we get away from it amen and we're going to do that today okay before we do though uh let's go ahead and take a moment and pray i i want to give every uh, person who's here an opportunity to be saved first of all if if you've never made here we go we're having a special wedding ceremony here today What I've done is I've uh, adapted 
some wedding vows that I've used on uh, many occasions uh, when people physically got married. And I've adapted them to reflect our relationship with the Lord. And so we are going to reaffirm today our commitment to Him and our dedication to this new life. And so uh, first I'm going to ask you a few questions, then I'll look up at you, and your appropriate response would be, I do. And then, of course, I'll lead you in your vows today. Everybody ready? All right. Stand up straight and tall. A heart commitment. If you could look the Lord into the eye, into his eyes, like oftentimes a bride and groom will look into each other's eyes and make a lifetime commitment to each other. We're reaffirming what we've done. Do you take Jesus to be your Lord, to be a disciple unto him according to the word and the commandments of God in the holy estate of marriage? Do you covenant this day to love him, honor and respect him, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live? I do too. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord, I love you. And today in the presence of our church family, I pledge myself to you. I reaffirm my faith in Christ and dedicate my life to be Christ-centered. I promise to make you a home where I abide in you and your words abide in me. My goal is to be a godly person and to fulfill your plan for my life. I submit myself to you and give you your place as head of my home. I will respect you, love you, and believe in you from this day forward. I need you. And I am honored to be yours. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.